Well, hey everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. And I just want to start out by thanking you for spending part of your day with us. And if you're blessed during our time together today, let me invite you to come and worship with us live on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time. You can worship with us live on our church website at mhbclouisville.com live. Or if you're in the Louisville, Kentucky area, we would love to have you come and join us in person. But with that, let's get right into this episode sermon. So over the last few weeks at Melbourne Heights, we've been working our way through a series of sermons where we've been talking about a problem that we all face. We've been talking about the problem of being overbooked or the problem of our chronic busyness. Let's just be honest here. All of us try to cram more events and activities, more plans and responsibilities into our lives than could possibly fit. So when we started into this series a couple of weeks ago, I told you a story that's been circulating around the internet for years. And this story is a story about a philosophy professor who showed up to class one day carrying with him an empty glass jar. Now as the professor walked into that classroom, all of his students were wondering why he was carrying this empty glass jar. But before any of them could raise their hands and ask the professor what was going on, The professor had sat that glass jar down on a table, and he reached underneath his lectern, and he pulled out a box that was filled with a bunch of large rocks. One by one, he started taking the large rocks out of the box, placing them into the once empty jar. And when he had finished, he looked at his students and he asked them, is this jar full? Well, still uncertain of what was going on in the class, the students looked at the jar and they said, yeah, it's full. And the professor reached back underneath his lectern, and he pulled out another box that was filled with pebbles, which he started pouring into the glass jar. When he had finished pouring the pebbles into the jar, he looked back at his students again, and he asked them, is the jar full? Well, having fallen for his initial trick, the students took a little bit longer this time before they answered his question, but they couldn't see any way that he could possibly fit any more rocks into the jar, so they said, yes, the jar is full. Well, with a smile on his face, the professor reached back underneath his lectern and he pulled out a bag of sand, which he started pouring into the jar. And when the jar was absolutely overflowing, the professor asked his students a different question. He asked them, what can this jar teach us about life? Well, one eager student's hand quickly went up into the air, and when he was called on, the student said, no matter how full our lives may seem, we can always fit more in. And that's where we stopped this story during the first sermon in this series. We stopped right there, and we stopped right there because a lot of us have come to believe the same thing that that student believed about life. We believe that no matter how full our lives may seem, we can always fit more in. We do. We believe that no matter how full our lives may seem, we can always fit more in. But that wasn't the point that the professor was trying to make that day. As a matter of fact, the professor was trying to make the exact opposite point. So what he did next is he called that eager student whose hand shot up into the air to come down to the front of the class. And as the student made his way down to the front of the class, the professor picked up that jar, now filled with large rocks and pebbles and sand, and dumped the whole thing out. Then he turned it back over, and he looked at his student, and he said, I want you to fill this jar again. But I want you to do it in the opposite order. I want you to start with the sand, then add the pebbles, then put in the large rocks. Well, after the student had poured in the sand and filled it in all of the pebbles, 
there wasn't enough room for all of the big rocks to fit inside of the jar. So the professor reached down and he picked up one of the rocks that didn't fit into the jar. And he said, these big rocks represent those big things in your life, those important things in your life, those things that matter the most to you in your life. What I want you to realize is if you try to put these big things into your life last, they're never going to fit. So don't let your lives fill up with the sand and the pebbles and all these other small things. Make room for what matters the most. So the lesson the professor was trying to teach his students wasn't that no matter how full our lives may seem, we can always fit more in. No, the professor wanted his students to understand that we have to make room for what really matters in life. We have to make room for what really matters in life. And that's what we've been talking about throughout this sermon series. Remember, the goal of this entire series has been to help you slow down and to clear your calendar so that you can make room for what matters the most to you. So it only makes sense as we wrap up the sermon series today that we spend a little bit of time thinking and talking about what it is that should matter the most to us. So to help you start thinking about what it is that should matter the most to you in your life, what I want you to do right now is to spend a little bit of time thinking about what a typical day looks like in your life. I want you to think about how you spend the time that you have in an average, ordinary, typical day. So I want you to think about what time you usually get up in the morning and what time you go to bed. And I want you to think about what you do in the hours in between those two things. I want you to think about how much time you spend each day on personal hygiene. And I want you to think about how much time you spend fixing breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I want you to think about how much time you spend sitting in your car as you're driving to work or to the grocery store or to a dentist appointment. I want you to think about what you do, how you spend your time when you're actually at work. How much time do you spend sitting in meetings or talking with your coworkers around the break room or waiting for the IT guy to come down and fix your computer? When you get home, I want you to think about how you spend your time at home. How much time do you spend watching TV in a typical day? Or how much time do you spend reading a book? Or how much time do you spend scrolling on social media? I want you to think about how much time you spend playing with your kids or caring for an aging relative. I want you to think about how much time you spend walking your dogs or mowing the grass or loading or unloading the dishwasher each day. I want you to think about what a typical day looks like in your life, the way that you spend the time that you have. And I can tell you that if your life is anything like the average Americans, I can tell you how you typically spend your day. Because the average American spends 8.9 hours a day at work, and they spend 7.7 hours each day sleeping. So, boom, just like that, two-thirds of your day are already spent. From there, the average American spends two and a half hours each day watching TV or scrolling on their phones or engaging in some other type of leisurely activity. The average American also spends 1.2 hours every day taking care of the people that they love, whether that's their kids or an aging parent or someone else. We also spend an hour each day doing household chores and another hour of our day every single day just eating and drinking. And if you're really good at math and you're able to keep up with all of that in your head, you'll realize that that leaves us with 1.7 hours each day to do 
everything else. So we have 1.7 hours each day that lets us do everything else from showering to shopping, from commuting to volunteering. And that's what a typical day looks like for the average American. But let me ask you this. What would your day look like if you knew you only had one day left? How would you spend your time if you knew you only had 24 more hours? When you woke up that morning, would you hit the alarm clock a second or a third time if you only had one day left? If you only had one day left when you walked into the kitchen, would you take the time to scramble yourself up a couple of eggs for breakfast? Or would you settle for a bowl of cereal? If you only had one day left, would you make sure that you left home early to head to work so that you could beat all of the traffic? Or if you only had one day left, would you bother going into work at all? If you had one day left, would you spend more than 1.2 hours of it taking care of the people that you love the most? If you had one day left, would you spend as much time as you usually do sitting in front of the TV or watching dog videos on Instagram? If you only had one day left, how would you spend your time? Most of us are never going to be able to accurately answer that question because most of us are never going to know when our last day comes. But in an, an episode of one of the longest-running TV shows in history, an episode of The Simpsons, this is exactly the question, the issue that Homer Simpson faces. Now, since The Simpsons is a cartoon and it's a comedy, Homer finds himself in the situation because he ate some sushi that is likely poisonous. And when he goes to the doctor, the doctor tells him if the sushi was, in fact, poisonous, that he's got 24 hours left to live. So how does Homer Simpson spend the final 24 hours what could be his life? Well, he sits down with his son, Bart, and he spends time imparting on his son years' worth of fatherly advice. Then he goes and he spends time with his oldest daughter, Lisa, as she does the thing that she enjoys more than anything else in the world, which is play the saxophone. He takes the time to record a video that his wife will be able to play for their baby girl, Maggie, as she gets older so that she can remember her father. Homer also takes the time to reconcile with his own dad after years of a dysfunctional relationship, and he makes sure that he spends some quality time with his wife. And that night, after everybody else in the Simpson household has drifted off to sleep, Homer sneaks back downstairs, where he spends the final hours of that day listening to the Bible on cassette tape. So I told you, this is one of the longest-running shows in history, and this episode aired over 30 years ago. And the Bible, of course, was narrated by none other than Larry King. Now, as it turns out, Homer didn't eat poisonous sushi. The sushi he ate wasn't, in fact, poison, so this wasn't his final day on Earth. But it doesn't change the fact that when he thought he had 24 hours left to live, he spent the time that he had with the people that he loved the most, and he spent his final hours with God. And I think that if most of us found ourselves in a similar situation, we'd probably want to do the exact same things. If we only had one day left, we'd probably want to spend as much time as we could with the people that we love the most and spend some time with our God. 
What does that say about all of the other stuff that we try to cram into the jar that is our life? If the big things, if the important things, if the giant rocks in our jar are our family and our God, what does it say about everything else that we try to cram into our lives? Is everything else in our lives just not important? I mean, have we been wasting all those hours that we spend every single day at work? Do we need to just give up on cooking and cleaning and taking care of our houses? Should we shut down our social media accounts and cancel our subscriptions to Disney Plus? Well, believe it or not, these are the kind of questions that underlie the passage of Scripture that I want us to take a closer look at today. So if you've got a Bible close by or a Bible app on your phone, I'd encourage you to go ahead and open it up to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, and as you're finding it, I just want to point out to you the book of Luke is basically a biography of Jesus. So as you're reading the book of Luke, you're going to be able to read about Jesus' birth and his baptism. You can read about Jesus' ministry. You can read about the miracles that he performed. You can read about Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection. But in Luke chapter 10, we're going to find a story that helps us really think about what should matter the most to us. So let's take a look at Luke 10 together. We're going to start reading in verse 38. Here's what it says. It says, while Jesus and his disciples were traveling, Jesus entered a village where a woman named Martha welcomed him as a guest. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his message. By contrast, Martha was preoccupied with getting everything ready for their meal. So Martha came to him, that's Jesus, and she said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to prepare the, ta the table all by myself? Tell her to help me. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you were worried and distracted by many things. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the better part, so it won't be taken away from her. Now, I want to take a step back here and kind of paint you a broader picture of what's happening inside of the story. So in this story, we're introduced to a, a couple of sisters, Mary and Martha. And Mary and Martha, they live in a town called Bethany. And Bethany just happens to be about a 40-minute walk from the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus and his disciples are going to pass through Bethany. They're going to walk by Mary and Martha's house as they are on the way to Jerusalem so that they can celebrate the Passover festival there. And... As they're going through Bethany, they decide that they're going to stop by Mary and Martha's house. Now, I want you to put yourself in this situation for just a second. In this story, you have 13 guys, Jesus and his 12 disciples, 13 guys who are unexpectedly stopping by your house. They don't have a cell phone, so they can't call you ahead of time. They don't have a phone, so they can't text you to let you know that they're on their way. At best, what they can do is have one person go off running ahead of the group to let you know that everybody else is on the way. And it only gets worse from there, because these 13 guys have been traveling all day long. And it's not like they've been riding in the back of a bus or in a 15-passenger van that was loaded down with snacks that they all picked up at Publix. Now, these 13 guys have been walking all day long, and the only thing they've had to eat is the food that they could glean from the fields that they were passing by. And these 13 guys are about to show up at your house. What would you do if you found yourself in that situation? 
Because I can tell you what I would do if I found myself in that situation. I would lock the doors. I would turn out the lights. I would pull down all the blinds. And I would pretend like I wasn't home. Because I got better things to do with my time than to take care of 13 unexpected and uninvited guests. But did you listen to the story in Luke chapter 10? Because that's not what Martha does. No, in Luke chapter 10, Martha gets to work. When she finds out that Jesus and his disciples are coming, you can almost picture what happens here. You can picture her frantically running all around the house, picking up all of the little clutter that's gathered all over the floor and stuffing it into a closet where nobody's going to see it before she quickly gives the floors a bop so the whole thing is presentable before her guests arrive. And all the while that she's trying to pick up and get everything cleaned up, she's got a pot of green beans that are cooking on the stove. She's got a chicken that's roasting in the oven. She's even got a couple of pies that are cooling in the windowsill. So when Jesus and his disciples show up knocking on her door, Martha has everything under control. All she needs is for her sister to help set the table. But Mary doesn't do it. No, when Jesus and his disciples show up and they walk into the living room, Mary plops down on the living room floor with them and joins in on their conversation. How do you think that made Martha feel? How do you think that made Martha feel? Martha has been cleaning and she has been cooking all day long to throw this dinner party that she didn't know she was going to be throwing when the day started. And all she needs is for Mary to set the table. And Mary won't do it. Now, if any of us found ourselves in that situation, we would be ready to blow our tops. But not Martha. Martha is such a good hostess that she kind of casually walks over to Jesus and she leans down and she whispers into Jesus' ear and she says to him, Jesus, can you tell Mary to come and set the table for me? What does Jesus do? It would make sense for Jesus to take Martha's side, right? I mean, because Martha's been working all day to fix his supper and she just needs a little bit of help. But Jesus doesn't take Martha's side. Jesus actually corrects Martha. Jesus corrects the woman who has been cleaning and cooking all day to take care of him. And he tells her, Martha, Martha, you were worried and you were distracted by so many things. One thing, one thing is necessary. Now, in that moment, I don't think that Martha felt like she was worried or distracted by many things. In that moment, I think, like, I think that Martha knew that she was focused on the one thing that was the most important thing that she could be doing. Because she had 13 guys sitting in her living room. She had 13 guys who'd been traveling all day long. She had 13 guys who were hungry, and these 13 guys weren't going to feed themselves. So she spent her entire day doing the most important thing that she thought she could be doing. So how is it that Jesus could tell Martha that she was worried and distracted by so many things? How could Jesus tell Martha that only one thing was necessary? Well, I want you to notice in the story 
Jesus never tells Martha that what she has spent her day doing wasn't important. Jesus tells Martha that only one thing is necessary. Jesus tells Martha that one thing is imperative. And there's a big difference between those two words. The word important and the word imperative. Now, when we say that something is important, what we're saying is that something has great significance or it has great influence. But when we say that something is imperative, we are saying that that thing is absolutely necessary. And what Jesus is doing here is he's telling Martha that she has confused what is important, which is providing for her guests, with what is imperative, which is loving and caring for her guests. But it's easy to get those two things confused. I mean, we get those two things confused all the time. It's easy to confuse what's important with what's imperative. And it's easy to do that because life is filled with things that are important. Life is filled with things that are important. Like, it's important for you to go to work. It's important for you to do something that is meaningful and something that is productive with your time. That is important. It is important for you to spend some time cleaning up around your house so that you can keep yourself and the people you love the most healthy. It's important for you to be able to unwind at the end of a long, busy day. It's important for you to exercise some. It's important for you to eat. All of these things are important. But none of them are imperative. So what is imperative? Well, Jesus is going to teach us what is imperative in our lives in Matthew chapter 22. In Matthew chapter 22, a religious expert is going to come to Jesus and he's going to ask Jesus about the greatest commandment. And in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39, this is what Jesus tells him. Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the interesting thing is that right before Jesus and his disciples start making their way to Bethany, to Martha and Mary's house in Luke chapter 10, we're reminded of this exact same thing. In Luke chapter 10, right before Jesus and his disciples start making their way to Martha and Mary's house, Jesus has an encounter with a religious expert. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, we're told this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. So in Luke chapter 10, what Jesus is telling Martha is essentially this. Don't let what's important keep you from what's imperative. Don't let what's important keep you from what's imperative. Because life is filled with important things. But not all of them are imperative. Because... It's important for you to take care of your guests. But it's imperative that you love them. 
It's important for you to tidy up, clean up your house from time to time, but it's imperative that you invite other people over to your house to share life with them. It's important for you to keep your grass cut. It's imperative that you play in the backyard with your kids sometimes. It's important that you make it to work on time each day. But it's imperative that you act like a decent human being during your commute. It's important for you to unwind at the end of a long, busy day. But it's imperative that you spend some time talking with your spouse about how each other's day went. It's important for you to mark off those items that you put down on your to-do list. It's imperative that you don't treat other people like they're just an item on your to-do list. Life is filled with things that are important. But Jesus tells us that loving God and loving each other is what's imperative. Loving God and loving each other is what's imperative. This is what is absolutely necessary for us. So as we finish up this sermon series, where we've been talking about the problem of chronic busyness, where we've been talking about how our lives all get overbooked sometimes, don't forget what's imperative. So what I want you to do as we finish up the series is I want to challenge you to focus on what's imperative instead of always focusing on what's important. Make room for those big rocks in your life and let the smaller pebbles and sand fall in as they may. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm telling you today. I'm not telling you not to do those important things in your life. This is not the preacher telling you that you can stop going to work. This is not the preacher telling you that you don't have to clean up your house anymore. What I'm telling you here is to focus on those big rocks, those things that matter the most to you. Because if you don't make room for the things that matter the most to you, they're not going to fit into your life. Do what's important, but don't ever let what's important keep you from doing what's imperative. Let's pray together. God, as we come to you in this word of prayer, we thank you for the reminder that we've heard from Martha's story. God, you know that our lives are frantically and chaotically and chronically busy you know that we fill our lives with so many things you know that we worry and we get distracted by so many things just like martha god remind us continue to show us that one thing is necessary what's necessary is for us to love you and to love each other. So God, help us to not treat people like they're just another item on our to-do list. Don't let us prioritize our chores and our errands and the things that we need to accomplish over loving you and loving others. Open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears to show us those around us that we overlook because we're overbooked. 
and help us to do a better job of loving the way that you love us all. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our Sermon Podcast, and I hope that you've been blessed during our time together. And if that's happened, once again, I want to invite you to come and worship with us live on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time. You can do that by joining us on our church website at mhbclouisville.com slash live, or if you're in the Louisville, Kentucky area, you can also worship with us in person. And that's going to do it for this episode of our Sermon Podcast, but I want to invite you to come back and join us again when our next episode drops next week. But until then, I'll be praying for you. I hope that you have a great week, and we'll see you back here soon for another Sermon Podcast.